Hey, welcome to the 205th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Holly Peterson and George Ellis, both at the free Just Shoot It hat level. Whoa, styling. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Michael Parks Randa on the show. He is the co-director of the new South by Southwest premiering film, Best Summer Ever. It's an exciting new movie. It's a feature high school musical filled with choreography and fun music. And it just so happens that a portion of their cast and crew is fully integrated with people who are both fully abled and differently abled. So it's a really interesting conversation we have about the conversation around disabilities and also about the nature of just filmmaking in general. Michael comes from the music video world and his co-director kind of comes from the world of producing and so they together teamed up to create this film but it's a fascinating story about Michael being a part of this community and this camp that he was a part of that has kind of brought him into the world of all of these different performers and craftspeople and it's a really fun interesting story. Yeah I think one of the interesting things is because it's kind of about this camp that really has a lot of people with disabilities there. There's a lot of various organizations and people that care about this place, and it allowed them to connect with some big celebrity talent and sure. names and EPs. And I don't know that we've heard many versions of this story on this podcast where the way they got their film made was not because they knew famous people or they had a ton of money or they made it for no money, but rather they made it in a manner in which it got other people excited to be a part of it yeah. and want to contribute to it. Yeah, it's not accurate to call it a cause-based film, but it does have a point of view and a mission that I think people are excited to get behind and promote and it's like uh, not be a part of. Yeah, yeah, it's like not a cause-based based. film, but it's a almost a cause-based filmmaking mm-hmm. style. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that there's a philosophy and a a mission behind the way in which they want to make films and depict people on screen. Yeah, and it's kind of about inclusiveness. And again, not not in a way that is like doing anyone a favor, but it's a way about depicting people on screen that feels more inclusive, that goes beyond like race and gender. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great and was a really fun conversation. So we get into all of that with Michael Parks Randa. Cool. But before we talk to Michael Parks Randa... What's up, man? What have you been working on? Oh, man. Well, it's been a minute. I wrapped that feature. Yeah. I'm on to some commercials. I'm like just catching my breath. Still wrapping things out. I got a little bit of time off. We went to Palm Springs for a couple days, and I worked through most of it. So I'm still kind of like spun up. Yeah. What's your mental state? Like it's, you know, you go from having a job for like a month straight to like back to the like juggling 20 different people and calls and pitches Mm -hmm. and all that stuff you know in that way it doesn't feel different you know it feels like because the film i was still pitching and fielding calls and all of that stuff we had a little bit of time built in to like basically support ourselves and so like it doesn't feel like i ever left that part of life honestly the film kind of by design was there to kind of fill in that weird limbo time that can be a little bit of a bummer where you're like redoing your website or whatever. Like January and February can be really slow. So I guess I just didn't have time to realize that 
I wasn't getting paid for much, but otherwise it feels the same. Yeah. It's funny. Cause that's what I was going to say. It took away all of your kind of coffee shop time. Yeah. 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 I've, I'm cramming all of that coffee shop time into the next two weeks. I think I have four coffees scheduled for tomorrow. For tomorrow? Are you going to drink coffee? No. Every coffee? No. Go get them, Tiger, which is my go-to coffee shop. It's got a great patio. Yeah. I mean, their coffees are only six fifty each. There's the... <laughs> well, they've got a, a bubbly green tea that's like... Got, it's like really hoppy. So it kind of tastes like a beer and is very effervescent on life. And I, It's I, caffeinated too. Yeah, it's got a little caffeine. Yeah. But not the same as a coffee. So... I'll probably have a couple of those tomorrow. Let me ask you this totally random question based on something that happened to me today. Are you ever like on a shoot and the budget, it's not great and your rate's not great and you're like kind of bummed on it, but you're like, well, we're all in this together. We're going to make something cool. And then you go to like a work lunch, like on your scout and there's, you know, producers are ordering like a hundred dollar meals each. Is it on production budget or is it on, um, is it corporate? corporate yeah then it's it's literally a different yeah budget. i honestly don't know i assume production but i'm always like yeah, you, often i was like asking if you can do anything to raise my rate and here you are order having a 300 hundred dollar lunch so i i can't speak to specifically what what happened for you at lunch but i can remember times when at viacom you literally they're different different budgets different departments so it's like it's it's a different code And so there's just like the fund of like how much you're allowed to spend on the thing you're making. And then there's what the expense account for your whole department has. And they're literally different buckets. And so sometimes you wish that someone would just put like crew lunch on their expense account, but they can't. And there's no way to move those, that money from one place to the next. And honestly, it's like the main perk of those jobs is being able to like order a baller lunch every once in a while. So. Yeah. But it still makes you feel kind of like crap when it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, have you been in, I'm sure the answer is yes, but have you been in a situation where you're like, Hey, I'd like to do this on it. I'd like to have a dolly for this and do a steady cam for this. And then the producer's like, we can't afford it. And you're like, well, just take it out of my rate. Have you ever done that? Yeah. yeah. And then they're like, no, no, we'll find a way to make it work. Yeah. But when you're doing stuff like that, when you're like, okay, I'll give my thing up. And then you see, yeah, because there's some corporate thing. Yeah. Or they order like two things and they don't eat one. Like, that's like my steady cam. You're not eating right there. Yeah. Anyway, interesting stuff. Well, cool, man. Well, I'm glad to have you back on the podcast. It's been hard running this thing by myself. (laughs) Might have noticed the lack of episodes coming out on time. Um, Yeah. Well, it's good to be back. I'm ready to catch my breath. Well, cool. Well, before we chat with Michael, we just want to remind you guys, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. If you feel like you get anything out of the podcast and you enjoy listening to it, then check it out. You can give us a dollar or two a month to help this podcast keep going. If you give us 10 bucks, even just for one month, then you'll get a free for 10 bucks. Just shoot it podcast hat that will make you the talk of the town they're pretty cool very cool pretty cool i told you i see carlin at my starbucks and she's wearing the hat roxy wears it too there's a lot of cool people wearing the hat also if you are a patron at any membership level access to our live shows are free there might or might not be a live show coming soon Oren and i are in the throes of figuring out what our next live show is we currently have a date march 15th 
fingers crossed that we pull this one off because it's been a little crazy for us. We haven't really been able to commit as much time as normal, but it's going to be banger no matter what, unless yeah. it doesn't happen. And it's going to be at the Rita house. So you know where it is. You know when it is. You just don't know what it is. Whoa. Uh, but probably by the time you're listening to this, we'll have sorted it all out. So if you go to justshootedpod.com slash live, you can get more details and we'll probably have a cool ad at the top of the episode. That'll be helpful too. Let's talk to Michael Parks Randa. You've got a new film debuting at South by Southwest. Too called Best Summer Ever. BSC. We just call it BSC. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The kids in the know. Randa, tell us a little bit more about uh, Best Summer Ever. Yeah. So Best Summer Ever is a feature musical that's premiering at South by. We're really excited about it, and it's a integrated film in that um, it's got an integrated cast and integrated crew of people with and without disabilities and sort of the first of its kind in that. We've been making films together, uh, this community of friends and film professionals uh, with and without disabilities for about 12 years now. And we'd make them as sort of like these, you know, pretty guerrilla style shorts in LA. And then there was a doc called Becoming Bulletproof that was made about us making one of our films. It was a Western and it basically showed like the process of us, you know, this sort of ragtag group of people making a film together and what the lives are like are with of people with disabilities when they're not on set and when they're at home and sort of the lack of opportunity for disabled actors. And with the success of that doc, we were like, all right, people are starting to pay attention to this and, and realize that a films like ours should be made um, and can be made. And so we were like, you know what, we've, let's just, we've dreamt about making this musical for years let's just try to do it. And it was ambitious and we definitely bit off more than we can chew in some regard, but we made it. And it's been basically like three years in the making. We've been, I mean, it's really been like 10 years in the making, but we've been chipping away at it for about three years and we just submitted our DCP. So we are, we're, we're ready to go. Cool. And what's in DCP? A DCP is a digital cinema package, which is what the film festivals needed. Basically is just like all of it packaged for them to view it. It's like, like a, a fancy hard drive. It's on a lacy, yeah, one of those lacy drives. Yep. So there's a digital version. I guess we also have to provide, and then an actual like physical drive. Yeah. And what's a digital version? Like a QuickTime file? I guess so. I didn't deliver it, but I think it's just like I think it's a backup in case the mm-hmm. drive goes to shit and gotcha. they've got something on hand. And how much does it cost to make a DCP? It was about. 500 bucks oh that's way better than i thought yeah you know i thought it was a lot of money but But if you make like i think just the reason i'm asking all this stuff is for our listeners to know like even if you make that five thousand dollar movie and it gets into sundance or south right you got some extra costs coming your way yeah like people i think know about the sound mix and maybe the color right but a lot of people can probably color things themselves totally but the dcp is like it's just as unavoidable you can homebrew a dcp now Oh, oh yeah, you can. Yeah, but you just have to. You gotta be... do a lot of googling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is some program. It might even be like an Adobe program that lets you author them. Maybe but it does yeah. that. Okay. When I was yeah. when I had my movie at festivals, it was like I must have spent like a month trying to make my own DCPs, and uh-huh. I just <laughs> could never get because there's like these keys and they're encrypted and all this. Yeah, junk. there's all sorts of stuff. Yeah, um, they sent us like all this information. And we were just. We're like, we can't handle this ourselves. Yeah. Like, we also, have to outsource this. Don't roll the dice. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, you don't want to be like, first of all, you're going to spend more than $500 getting yourself to South by and everything. Totally. Um, but you don't want to be there like opening night 
and then something go wrong, yeah, right? It's, it's like the most terrifying so, part. Knocking on wood for you, Randall. Thank you. Appreciate Before it. we get into more of the production and everything, tell us a little bit more about the content of the movie. The film is really, it's a PG-13 rated is what we'd say. You know, I think we, we've never tried to make something that is, yeah, I think when people think of films with people with disabilities, there's they expect a level of hand-holding and for it to be cutesy, not giving credit to the fact that disabled actors can hold their own and i think sure. because they see so little of it they hear high school musical people with disabilities and often we get like oh that's so cute like good for you i can't like it's going to be on like disney channel or hallmark and we're like no we have drugs and swearing mm-hmm. you know like we want to make something that is you know sure authentic, that's authentic. Yeah. and it's you know we're a bunch of young people who you know who love these types of films swearing swearing yeah, yeah come drugs. on yeah sure that's what it. we're all yeah. about well honestly i was because you sent us some clips from the movie and it looked i mean that's part of the reason we had you on the show because it looks like awesome but there was i watched this one today and there was like a pretty picture of a dick yeah yeah in your face dick joke and i was like yeah and i've been thinking about this a lot lately because i'm doing this like ya supernatural podcast right. where our instincts are like for her to be like, oh shit, or that's a bunch of bullshit. Like, oh crap, oh fuck this guy, you know. But yep. we're like, if we literally just say, oh crap, and shoot, you know, and uh, this guy can, you know, go jump off a cliff or whatever we say, like then it just opens it up to this bigger audience. And I am curious because your movie is, like you said, a movie like this should be made, which I'm assuming means because it's great when people can see themselves on screen right and right. so what's the value of then not making it pg i guess well that's the thing and and in a lot of ways we didn't think a lot about the marketing of it kind of going into it and you know like we just were kind of like we're going to make this film write it for ourselves in a lot of ways and we wanted to make a musical that was really light and fun but also had dark elements and yeah we could have made a film that was like very geared towards the youth for sure but we kind of wanted to make an adult musical as well and have that sort of, you know, challenge people in that way that it's like sort of rewrite their expectations of what a musical could look like, both definitely by having the integration, but also trying to make it like for young adults as well. And we'll sort of see. I think that there's there's a lot of question marks when people hear about the movie in general and expect one thing and then see it. And they're like, this is really not what I thought it would be. Sure. You well, know? I, it's also funny because, and I don't know what the marketing materials look like, but you know, when we talk about it being a musical, there's big old dance numbers, you know, it's not, I mean, it's like a, it's like a musical, like rent or like high school. Yeah, musical. Or they're like singing and dancing story. all like, the time. Right? It's like choreography and some crane shots and you know, like, it's a musical musical. It's like yeah. an old school Hollywood musical, but with a modern sensibility and setting. Right? Absolutely. Well, why send it? Sorry, I'm just like digging yeah, into hit, like. No, please. Yes. Heck, did you do all. that? For our listeners, I've not seen the movie, but I've seen four clips from it. Um, why make it a high school story and not a college story? Like your actors are clearly not. Like, yeah. No. That's, years old. that's it's a really that's a good question. For a little bit of background, this film, this community is called Xena Mountain Farm, and it's a at its core, it's a, it's a community and a camp for people with and without disabilities. And we get together every year and make a film. We have like a music camp, a sports camp, and it's based in Vermont in this town called Bristol, really kind of middle of nowhere. And so when it came to us 
making this film, we're like, we need to rely, like we need to write around what we have at our disposal, you know? And so in this town, there's a high school, like it's small. There's a high school, oh. there's a pizza shop, there's a mechanic, yeah. there, you know? So Having we're, been to Vermont, it's, it's a small you place. You just described small. all of Vermont. Are yeah. you from Vermont? I'm from Massachusetts. Oh, okay. And so that's really what it was. It was like, I think a lot, like a film of the scale, we, you know, there's about 60 person crew, I don't even know how many, I think a 70 person cast plus extras. How many and days did you guys shoot? We shot for a, about 45. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And it, it was, Are you at liberty to talk numbers at all? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Like Our, in terms of like financial numbers? I mean? Yeah, that's totally yeah. fine. Because I, I imagine that this is, the a budget isn't really going to indicate any no yeah we we were you know it was under a million and that was with a million favors pulled Ari gave us like our entire camera package for the entire time and you know we also we were able to cut costs because we lived at this camp and this camp has it's our campers paying to attend the camp so no that's kind of the magic of this place is that the we try to like shy away from like the camper counselor because uh-huh, sure. it's really just a group of friends. And a lot of our friends with disabilities are, you know, in their fifties and sixties. Uh-huh. So to call them a camper is, right, is right, not right. really authentic. So we all, we all lived. There's like these, it's kind of like Peter Pan. Like there's these like wheelchair accessible tree houses that we all lived in, which is like for a summer camp. You're like, this is, this is the dream. Yeah. For a movie production, yeah. when you're all living, sleeping <laughs> in bunk it a beds, summer glamp. I, yeah. I had like the I was in the lap of luxury because I had my own individual closet that I slept yeah. in the whole time. Did you wait, have a bathroom? You, hold on, wait, wait, you slept in the closet. In the closet, I dragged a mattress into the closet, and so slept. you had more privacy than everyone. More privacy than anyone, and there, you know, you get into it, and a lot of us, you know, have been doing this for a long time together. So there's that camaraderie already built that we're like so excited to get back together. But we've only ever done these in as like a week and a half, two week stint, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, forty five days of like sleeping next to your UPM. Yeah. Suddenly yeah. you're just yeah. like, buddy, I love uh, you. UPM, they tend to smell really bad too. all the time. My church, this goes out more to like me. pu. <laughs> hey. hey, so you keep talking about we and this group and everything. Yeah. But are you always the director on these things? So no, and um, but you are the director. On the I team. am. I'm, and I have a co-director as well, Lauren Smitelli, who's New York City based. Shout out to you, Lauren. Yeah, I'll definitely I'm, send this to you. Yeah, for sure. So Lauren and I co-directed this, and we're both members of this community. You know, we've been, if, you know, volunteering is a loose term. We've just been, you know, friends Hanging with out. these people for a long time. And so this is the first one that I've directed, but I've been involved. I've been an actor, and I'm not an actor, but in, and that's a, that's a big thing. Is in the past we would really make these internally, you know, we all would act in them. We all would write. And there's a campy nature to all of them because of that. We're like, well, we can't make this serious because our acting's pretty garbage for the most part, you know? (laughs) Were these other films, were they intended for a mass audience? No. And so they start, they really were fundraising tools in a lot of ways. So we would write, you know, in like a week, we would write a script go shoot it. These are like shorts, right? Shorts. Yeah. And so we made like, you know, a 15 minute pirate musical one year. There was a horse horror film called in the pines. I know bastards. And then, yeah. So there was like all these really, yeah. 20 minutes were basically the length of them. Right. Um, But it's like half community outreach and half, great activity yeah right. and it was yeah, it was yeah. really just an exercise you know is were you submitting them to film festivals and no stuff? we didn't you know i don't think any of them were i think we 
we didn't really not that we didn't see the potential of them they just were kind of made for us and we would take them on the road and we'd have like an LA screening and a New York screening and a Boston screening but outside of that like we almost didn't really see ourselves as like necessarily like having a seat at the table we always knew that like promoting inclusivity in film was something that we just did naturally and there it's there wasn't agenda based you know it was just like this is almost just like okay we have a music camp we, we're going to write songs together fill that slot sports camp and then we have our movie camp and we just do that and are proud of them and people you know it sort of has a little word of mouth you know grassroots feel and then i think over time we realized that like there was an opportunity here and a conversation that needed to be started around the fact that there's so there's such a disparity in disability in the industry but for crew for actors you know how many films have we seen where disabled roles are going to able-bodied actors and for us we're like you know something that we've learned th through this is through a lot of the activists that we've have met that you know blackface is something that like you'd never do in a film anymore but for some reason it's okay for an able-bodied actor to play a disability and the disabled community of, of actors call it crip face mm -hmm. and that's basically you know for some reason that doesn't insult people or they don't right. it's not on their radar right. you know right. well um, de deafness definitely is mm -hmm. right um, I, I think that's true but i think that you know some like someone acting like they have cp or blindness is not a thing like in the same way that deafness is right and so I think that that we sort of saw an opportunity for ourselves to try to make films on a larger scale that can be taken seriously, but also start to start the conversation around like, well, why do we not see dis people with disabilities and actors and disabilities being represented in this day and right, age? Right. Why not? Yeah. So, so I think, tell me about when the decision was made. And maybe it was all at once or maybe it was a gradual thing from transitioning from like doing this great work and being a part of this organization and making these shorts to like, oh, instead of two and a half weeks, we're going to make a feature. We need 45 days. We're going to need more resources and time. And, and this you know, is 45 shoot days, right? That doesn't include recording the music or anything, right. the choreography no, yeah, rehearsals, of, anything. Well, yeah. So our, it's a horse of a different color. Right? Yeah. Like, I, like you're like having fun. Life is good like supporting a great cause, being a part of that, of a movement. But like, there's a shift between like, let's take this seriously and make a feature. You yeah. Know? I, I think that there was a shift after the documentary came out. I think becoming bulletproof, people started to pay attention. How to did people this. find you to make that? How did the, the becoming bulletproof people find you? The director, Michael Barnett had just been brought to one of our camps one time through a friend who was part of it. Susie Barrett is her name. She's a comedian. Sure. Yeah. You know yeah. 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 She's awesome. Um, and so I think Susie and Mike uh, were friends and Mike had just come to, you know, I think was looking for his neck doc subject and came by and just fell in love with the camp and was, and hadn't seen anything like this group of people before. And with the success of that, I think we are like, okay, people are paying attention and this is resonating with people and that the production value had gotten better and better over the years. And that was sort of our, the height of it was making that Western. Mm -hmm. And then when did you shoot that Western on that? We shot that that was 2012. I mean, I, th I think those were like C300s, like, and some decent length, like it, but if you saw how they started and, you know, sure. now like a C, C, C100, C300 is something that probably wouldn't shoot on now but at the time it was it was sure. a good camera can we talk about fundraising 
Yeah. How did you put this film together? Right. So you had the idea, you see the momentum. Mm -hmm. What's the next step? We had done, we did a Kickstarter and we raised about, I think we raised like $150,000 through that. Great. We were featured. They put us on the front page, which is really helpful. And Can can I ask, did you find that you were raising funds outside of your circle of connections like totally yeah yeah we did and so that's the kickstarter dream right there yeah, yeah. it really is and so you know i i think you know we look at like our credits list of, of all our thank yous and there's a lot of people that we don't know on there that just like you know heard about it and wanted to give which is so great we have some eps on it who had given some who you know had had funded it and then we got we signed on jamie lee curtis and ted danson and mary steenbergen and um as as EPs, Amy Brenneman, who else got wait? So what? Is, how does that work, and why do you do that? And yeah, they're so not in the movie. They're well, you, they're not they're not in the movie. But Maggie Gyllenhaal is in the movie. Peter Sarsgaard, their EPs as well, and they you know they were supporters after seeing Becoming Bulletproof. They had you know hosted some screenings and were like you know we want to help you guys out. This is something that you know we see the value in in the industry for sure. Um, and so having them on, you know, as EPs for that, I think other people, you know, it kind of helps Wait, people so that, get so involved. There's this documentary that's made about, are you, you're in the documentary. I'm actually not in the doc. This oh, is, you're not? No. This, so this was, this film was the one film I wasn't involved in. So this was, I think to, I was working at an ad agency at the time. Oh. Yeah. I was doing the, the real nine to five grind. At, so you at learned if you chase mm-hmm. money, yes, you lose. That's exactly and, right. And then um, they dip out. Wow. So they made this documentary about a film being made at this camp. Right. And then Michael Barrett? Barnett. Barnett. Yep. Has, he, has he done a lot of things? He's, yeah. He's, he runs famous? a company out here called Super Films. Um, he had the last doc he did is called Changing the Game, which is about some transgender athletes premiered at Tribeca. He had a, I think his first doc was an HBO doc called Superheroes. Um, which is about like everyday vigilantes in New York. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So he was kind of known in the doc yeah. world. Mm-hmm. So he made, he chose this topic to make a documentary exactly. about. And his, because people knew him, it got to these like A-list celebrities. It was more, it's Showtime ended up buying the doc. Um, oh, okay. And so it got, it had a, you know, a healthy life outside of just like word of mouth. And yeah, I think people, it, a couple like some celebrities had seen that and some you know had come to some screenings of it and yeah from there i think that that was definitely like the the jump over but from, did they reach out to you or do you say like hey we noticed you like this documentary are you interested in being an ep on our next film like, yeah they've become friends at this point yeah they've been they've become you know they've been supporters for a few years now and but so that was initial right. contact maybe. yeah initial contact so like from for maggie and peter they actually live in vermont uh-huh. Uh, you know, I think they split their time between New York and Vermont. And so the organization had done some reach out to them being like, hey, we're shooting at the high school today. Like, we'll write you in a scene real quick if you want to, like, be a newscaster interviewing our protagonist who's like a football player. <laughs> like, come pop down. They're like, yeah, we'll be there. So, like, those are the things that are... Is your the movie SAG? It is SAG. Yeah. Also, like, Benjamin Bratt is in the film and he has a daughter with a disability. And so you know, this community really resonated for him. So he and his wife came and, and his daughter. And, and were did like, you reach out to him where you were like, oh, this is a thing that we maybe have a hunch will resonate with you? Or? Yeah, um, I didn't specifically reach out to him, but he had heard of Xena Mountain Farm, which is the, you know, the organization. And over, I think just over time, we developed these relationships and, and just kind of 
you know, kept in touch with them and let them know that like, Hey, we're, we're about to set off to make the biggest thing that we've ever done. We'd love for you to be in it. Cause all of our, all of our films have always had some sort of celebrity cameo. Cause they just take place in LA and someone would be like, Oh, I know, you know, Elizabeth Moss or something like that, you know, and then suddenly they show up and they're like, I don't have any idea what you guys are doing, but I'm here. This sounds like, wait, but sorry, these are, you're shooting your films in LA that have people from Vermont in them. So I know this whole thing is, is tricky. So, well, cause I, I mean, I just think, you don't know, call up Elizabeth Moss and say, come over and play a small part in my short film. And then she shows up right in. So in Los Angeles is when the shorts would be made. And it was always like a friend of a friend who would, or, you know, a friend who, you know, is part of this community, but is an actor full time or a model and just would have some famous friend. And like, it really would be that simple where we'd be like, you know, someone would be like, oh, I know Damien Rice. Like he wants to come, you know, for music camp. Suddenly Damien Rice is just with us for a week at music camp writing songs. And there's, I think there's just like this gravitational pull to this community where people show up and there's just like no ego and a lot of, you know, really unique individuals, mainly those of us, most of our friends with disabilities who are just like so full of love and so welcoming that people come and leave completely transformed. Can we talk a little bit about production? Yeah. Because I'm curious to know if they're like the, w- the ways in which it was familiar and maybe the ways in which it was different or you had to like think things through or like anything that surprised you. Tell us about that process, right? Yeah, I think that that's an interesting question. The environment certainly was difficult shooting in rural Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sure, even I, just not having electricity. Like, uh, electricity yeah, or, and, yeah, and like good Wi-Fi sure, and yeah. film support if we needed it. You sure. know? Isn't it's, every meal is like Ben and Jerry's ice cream? They, ben and Jerry yeah. showed up and gave us ice cream at one it point. It was like a Vermont yeah, for days. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> but like the weather is so volatile at times too. And we're shooting in autumn. It wasn't like the summertime. And so it's like, you know, in the blink of an eye, it'll be torrential downpour and then sunny and then torrential again. And we had a lot of exteriors. We, there's a lot of this filmed in the woods. If we weren't in the high school, we we're on the football field. But the other challenge was like a lot of these locations aren't wheelchair accessible. And so in order to retain like the integrity of these, of what we set out of the story, we, we wanted to shoot outside and we wanted to be in the woods. And, but we also had to get creative and how to keep the integrity, but also keep it safe for our actors and for our crew members. Did you write the movie for like, was this character supposed to have a specific disability or because from watching the clips, they look kind of like you wrote the movie and then you just cast right. Whoever fit the part personality wise. Like there's no attention paid to this wheelchair to any sort of. Uh, that's a great point. Condition. And that that's a big part of like the fabric of the film is that, disability is not mentioned ever. Right. So we, you know, we wanted our, so often our, our friends who are, you know, who are actors who do this for a living and are trying to do this for a living, they're put in a box and it's like, okay, down syndrome girl, down syndrome actress. Like we need, you know, you're in, but we can only cast you for that. And so that's been a, a huge complaint with a lot of our actors is that they're like, I, I, I can never not be me. I always have to be, my disability is always part of my, the identity of the opportunities that I have. Every character has to, it's always focused on my, whether it's a limp or, you know, I'm a wheelchair user that it's like, mm-hmm. they were like, they need, 
nowadays they feel like they have to cross that box off where it's like, okay, I'm an extra in, in the scene. They need someone with Down syndrome. Right. Great. You're it. For us, we're like, let the character, like let these actors play characters. And it doesn't have to be so defined by their ability or disability. And so we really wanted to tell us a love story that you haven't really seen before, but also like you're not hitting people over the head with like, yeah, this is a disability story. It's not. It really, you watch this and I think the feedback that we've gotten, which has been really encouraging is like, we've never seen like an able-bodied actor and a disabled actress kiss like that before. You know, there's this, in our first song, Best Summer Ever, it's this like rambunctious, fun pop song. Summer camp is the last night that these two are, are together. And then there's this like really romantic kiss at sunset. And a lot of people have been like, that made me uncomfortable. And I don't know why that made me uncomfortable. But then by the end of the film, it felt so natural and integrated that I questioned myself, like, why did that, why did that like trigger something in with me that was like, whoa, like, sure. I, I don't yeah. know if I am okay with that. And then by the end of it, they're like, wow, I, I don't know why that was something that really stood out to right. me as well, a problem. Right, right, right. That's really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you said, just something we're not exposed to that much right and i think that's what's so important about films like this is is to be able to have something that challenges your preconceived notions of of Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. you know and i think what we hope is that people will watch this film and be more inclined to talk to someone who they see with a disability you know and i think that i think for some reason society has like put this idea in our head that like, it's better not to look at someone in a wheelchair. You know, it's like, don't stare, don't look. Right. And someone brought up a great point recently that like children don't have that sort of like, they they don't have that ingrained in them yet, you know? So they just like, will look and they won't ignore, you know? And I think for some reason we've been taught it's more polite to just like, you know, don't look at the person who has an ailment or has some sort of disability because it's not polite. But I think if you asked people who are living with disabilities, it's like you don't know how lonely it is to feel like I'm an outlier within the population. Right, right. You know? Don't pretend I'm not here. Yeah. Yeah. I think people want to not treat someone with a, that's differently abled, like different. Um, And so they don't know, they don't want to stare at them because you wouldn't stare at someone that is able-bodied so i think that's what where it comes from my uncle was in a wheelchair for he had a diving accident when he was 16 and he passed away recently but he was in his 60s and the whole time like whenever we'd go to restaurants or anything a lot of times people would like offer to help him or like do things that he clearly didn't need help doing you know yep and he would get really frustrated about it and sometimes people like he, I mean, he had zero mental anything, right? Yeah. But people would like talk slowly to him and stuff Absolutely. and he would get like so pissed and off. And we, we deal with this a lot. One of our producers, Andrew Pilkington has cerebral palsy. He's has been, um, you know, has had that his entire life and he's cognitively just like us. And so he and I will be out. He lives in New York, but he's actually in Silver Lake right now. And he and I will be out to dinner and, you know, a waiter, a waiter will come up and, be like, what does he want? And I'm like, well, you can ask him. And and then they can't understand him all that well. And so they'll just keep looking at me and back to him. And it's like, people are uncomfortable, you know, and, but they don't, I think they, they look at him and are just like, well, I don't know what to do with, I don't know how to communicate with somebody like that, you know? And well, it's just like, it takes, it takes, you know, like exposure. exposure. Right. Right. Which is, I think, you know, the other part of this film right it's yeah. like just reminding people of of 
those realities basically absolutely yeah pretty yeah. cool man well so can we talk a little bit about your like why you were the director of this totally movie yep I've been involved with the camp for about 10 years now, but I also, I grew up in Massachusetts and my parents have run a day program for folks with disabilities for about 40 years. Um, and so I've really lived this my whole life. And when I sort of graduated college, I've always, did you go to film school? I didn't. I went to Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut and media studies major learned final cut. Okay. It's related. Know. Yeah. Sure. And yeah. I knew that I wanted to But you to didn't do, do Final Cut Pro. You just did Final Cut. Final, <laughs> Final Cut 7. And then I sure. tapped out and moved on to Premiere. Yeah, after classic. That. Yeah, well, that's, that's the road. Yeah, yeah. I heard that story on this podcast many times. I'm sure. But I always, I always tried to integrate, to some degree, having disabled talent in my work, whether it was music videos or shorts. And so the, the sort of the ethos of Xena Mountain Farm and what I was doing, there was overlap in as well. And so when I started seeing what they were doing and, and started volunteering, I think I'd always hoped that at one point I would direct one of them, but I was happy just kind of coming along and being part of it and learning, you know, seeing how sets work, even though they were small. Um, and then over time, I think there, it was just like the sweet spot of like, they're going to make this film. There actually were originally three directors on this project, which thank God did not happen. Although Pete Lazarus, if you're listening to this, I, we love you, but Lauren and I, you know, it, it's a challenge to have two directors and, uh, she and I both had never co-directed before. We're both part of this community, but we basically, they basically were like, all right, she's got some narrative background. You're a music video director, like perfect fit. And, and when we it, say music video director, you're like a legit, you're making a living as a music video director. That's a stretch. I'd say you're getting paid. You're making music videos for real labels. For real labels. Yeah. And I've been, you know, that's been something that I've loved, uh, you know, huge music fan and making, you know, I've worked with some legitimate artists and labels and that's a, a huge passion of mine. The sustainability of it is another thing, which I'd love, sure. would be happy to yeah. talk about. But yeah, the, I think uh, to answer your question about how I came onto it, we both were part of the community. And so it's like, all right, we want to work with people from within, like the two of you, like do mm-hmm. it and figure it out. And it was, extremely challenging because we're very different people and very different with direct, very different directing styles. And so when I and think had you worked together before, never, mm-hmm. we had never yeah, yeah. met before. Yeah. Yeah. So you're on a blind date for totally. 45 days. Yeah. And, and you know, it wasn't like drop on set, you know, we wrote a lot together and did you guys write the script? We did along with three others, Andrew, one of our producers and five people wrote the script. Yeah. Five people wrote the script. And you guys oh, just switch out like every fifth scene. It was basically <laughs> just like, you know, tinkering with, I, I'd say that I wrote a majority of it. Lauren wrote a good chunk of it. And then, but we were really given a framework like that when we came on, it was like you, they had already kind of lined out high okay. school musical. You already knew that. Yeah. And so it was like high school musical. Here are your protagonists. And also the songs had been written. And so it Uh was interesting. And that's like what percentage of the dialogue is in song, like a high percentage, right? Like over there's, there's eight different songs. Um, It definitely, it doesn't feel like you're just listening to people singing within a song the whole time. There's a lot of just normal storyline narrative. um, That's not musical, but that was such a, it was such a fun puzzle for us because it was like, all right, well, sequentially it's going to start, you know, they meet at summer camp so you got your big best summer ever ensemble. 
then it's moving on to like you know they separate and then there's her song with her mom's storyline is basically that like is it, you don't really know where that this girl sage is uh our main character played by shannon devito who's a great comedian by the way she's hilarious and um her parents she basically lives in an airstream basically on the road and her parents just grow marijuana and just like sell it on the road and then tony is played by ricky who's basically a he's like a, a dancer who is actual his they meet at a dance camp and then his secret is that he's like a football god in the small town in Pennsylvania. They end up meeting at the same school. It's a big nod to Greece, you know? So then it's like the song where they're singing about longing for one another, but they're both at the school. And so a lot of it was filling in the gaps of like, what, how do we get from this song to this song? Yeah. Throughout kind of a fun challenge. It was, it really, it was, it was definitely a challenge, but it was like, it helped. It's really helped like the framework, you know, it's like, okay, there's eight songs here. Like, how do we get from this ballad to, you know, how soon until we have the next song was another thing. So we've got like, we have two, I think I sent you more than worth the weight in the G, which are basically tied to one another. You've got like your, your protagonist singing about one another. And then our, like our villains, our, our cheerleader and the, like the quarterback who's like a total duster and is out for revenge essentially and so it's like how do we sort out the timing between everything and be able to make it cohesive and that was really fun but but yeah it was it took a lot of of tinkering with do you feel like there were so the cheerleader is Mm able-bodied villain girl right do you feel like there were sensitivities when she's like talking shit to people that were differently able i think that that's going to be up to the audience to sort of decide and i think that what for us is i think that people will have a sensitivity to some of this just because of the idea of exploitation right and i think people are really sensitive to that without really thinking as to the why of it and i think it'll be easy for someone to say like whoa like that's bullying but it's not bullying because she's in a wheelchair or is a wheelchair user. Like this is just, you know, the antagonist of the film who's given this, you know, the new girl a hard time. And I think no one would ever think twice about it from a storyline perspective if the person was able-bodied. And that is the sort of challenge that we're putting out to people is like, why do you have a reaction to that? It's like, in theory, we don't want anyone to bully anybody. Sure. But that's not what someone will point out. And I think if, if that's what they're, you know, if that's their reaction to it, they should take a step back and think about why. Sure. Antagonists are antagonists. Yeah. Yeah. No matter who, and you know, it's not about picking on the disabled girl. It's like, she's going to pick on everybody. And she kind of does throughout the film. Yeah. I mean, from what I saw that, what you said is true. Like I didn't, it didn't feel uncomfortable to me. I guess I'm just curious if the actress that was the bully at points were like, was like, I feel mean saying that. No, she loved it. And <laughs> she's she, a real, you cast a real bully. We cast a real bully. Uh, her name is Madeline Rhodes. She's a singer songwriter and she, she's phenomenal. And she actually was the primary songwriter who, so she wrote oh, most of the songs and oh, cool. she's like a total Swiss army knife. She's got cool. She's, got she goes by her Moo Moo is her, her <laughs> stage name is Moo Moo M U M U. So that's a shout out to you. Moo Moo. Cool. Mm-hmm. So had Lauren directed a movie before? Lauren had, Lauren came from producing um, and so I think she had she had directed a short beforehand. Um, so for both of you, this was the first feature. First feature directing, yeah. And how do you split up the like who talks to the actors, who talks to the DP, who's it was, and a, like design. a lot of that wasn't sorted, and that's what we kind of ran into. And some I think some of the biggest challenges on the set were having a lack of alignment 
and having like a very cohesive vision because we didn't have enough time. Uh, you know, we were the script to call the script done before we started filming is it would be a stretch. Like we were still tinkering with scenes as we were going. And, you know, when you think of like the the most famous directing duos, like what do they have in common? Their brothers, their bro- siblings, their siblings yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and their last like, name is Cohen. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, sure. When you yeah. think about it, about directing together, I think in for both of us, we were like, we're up to the challenge. This is going to be so fun. Mm-hmm. I, I'd never co-directed I'm nice. Before. You seem great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And yeah. what was your name again? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that since then, I've realized that like you have to be able to like cross each other's t's, dot each other's eyes without even you know. Yeah. There's like like birds flying in, you know, in flight, it's like you're programmed the same and you think the same way. So you have inherent trust of what the other is doing if you're not there. And it, it wasn't that Lauren and I didn't have trust for each other. It was that we didn't know each other's style. And so she saw something, a certain color, I saw it a different color. And what was so challenging in that was, I think it'd be easy to be like, all right, well, fuck you. And like go off and do it. But what slowed us down was us being like, we have to be respectful of each it's other and nice, come to a decision. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you and, need and our AD is charge. like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, yeah, we don't have time to shoot it. Yeah. Place. Or, or to talk about it. Right. right. Yeah. And so like, you know, that started, you know, we started to hit the snags and, and start to fall behind pretty quickly. There's certainly moments of magic where, you know, for a good instance of that was like the final you're like crane up and she's like Dolly in and they're like, wait, what about Dolly crane? <laughs> yeah. You're like, um, but there's this really organic, when you're watching this film, you see that there's a lot of integration in front of the camera, but you don't see that, you know, our boom operators down syndrome or that, you know, our producer has cerebral palsy there. We were filming the, the finale out on the football field, big ensemble and our choreographer Frankie Orr you know when you're saying before that like oh you know how much time did you have to shoot but then there's other days for choreography Frankie would basically get two hours the day before to do entire ensemble of people who have very different you know needs and and speeds and she I mean she's a miracle worker but that day was just like we were exhausted it was like an overnight on the football field and it looked like shit there's no two ways around it nobody knew the choreography <laughs> no one really knew the words because some of the stuff was in, recorded in the studio and they're learning it the day before trying to do choreography while singing right. and we're right. like this is gonna this is this is a, a reshoot make, yeah. made to happen you know right we're watching a reshoot being scheduled you know and so we realized that lauren and i sort of had that that aha moment together, which, you know, we've been sort of looking for this whole time that I was like, this is the perfect opportunity to flip the world and show what's actually behind camera. So it's basically showing football field with all of our ensemble. And then the camera does a 180 and shows the integrated crew singing mm-hmm. along and partying to, you know, the track. And wait, so are you breaking the fourth wall? We did. Thing? Yeah. And, and that's do you how acknowledge it in the mm-hmm. story. No. So that's the very, it's the very last moment of the film. So oh, yeah. spoiler alert. Yeah, I know. But you know, Spaceballs did a pretty good job of this. It's true. And so it's it's got this great it's it's the last, you know, ten seconds of the final song, and then it goes into like the credits which have BTS. <laughs> Wait, so you and Lauren are like, This isn't working. What is the one idea that we both agree on? We should be in the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're the stars. This is, yeah, what's missing good. from this? That's too good. Yeah. <laughs> um I wanted to maybe just touch real quick on your music video career. Sure. Because... Um, yeah, we haven't had a ton of music video 
directors. Yeah, and that was mainly your experience before doing this feature, yeah. which yeah. is a musical, of course. But I'm curious, what can you tell us briefly, like what things helped you from bringing from the music video world? Yeah, what and, did you take with? And you? what yeah. was like different, and you weren't like you know, like were the dialogue scenes harder? Was like sure, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think that I felt I felt really comfortable in the music space of this and shot listing. Right, and, and like, wait, why is there a microphone on set? We already recorded, right? This audio. Yeah, exactly. I think that you know, scripting at a music video, you have to be really precise, and you need to think about musical breaks. And I think you know, if it's a band performance, and you're just kind of you know banging out, there's not a lot of creative to it. That's simple. Is that know? like depressing when you do a performance yes, video? I tried. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've no, luckily graduated no from that. Yeah. Is that like music video 101? And I think so. I think we've all started out that way to some degree. Are you repped at a company? Not right now. So if you're listening, were you? Did you leave so the place? Or? I've basically been independent forever. And so I've been talking to a few out here. That's a bit. I actually moved to LA two months ago. Oh, yeah. I was Welcome. in Brooklyn for the thank you Congrats. for the past like five years. Thanks. And you I must sort try of, our cronuts. Yes, I must. I've heard a lot about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of went a different route where I've all I've kind of came up in the in the music world, and so I just kind of went right to the source of the bands that I loved. I didn't for the longest time. I didn't even know what being repped even meant. You know, I didn't even understand the value of it. I was like, well, I'm doing this on my own. I'm working with the bands. Yeah, I just I'm talked de- to them developing. After shows or yeah, yeah. are you doing the same thing where you're? They have a track and you're writing a treatment Mm -hmm. yeah and so a lot of times i mean the the most traditional way is label commissioning and so labels will reach out to directors that they like or that they form relationship with and say you know here's the track you a handful of just blind reach out honestly oh interesting yeah like you reach out to the label i would literally reach out to the label or the bands that i liked would be like yeah man your work's cool like here's our you know sure we'll introduce you to so and so yeah yeah but over time i think as i built up a portfolio i just would reach out to labels and be like this you know i'm new york based but also you know i'm in la a good amount and who would you reach out to at the label like the what's director the of marketing if there's anyone listening oh, interesting yeah the director of marketing is usually the person who's in, in charge of that stuff which you can figure out on linkedin pretty easily that's exactly what i did yeah yeah there's not that Record labels, especially like I'm assuming there was mm-hmm. a lot of indie labels. Yep. They're like four or five people. Yeah, they're not big at all. Yeah. And you know, they might some of them might be umbrellas of larger companies. Sure. That's so weird to I mean, it makes so much sense, mm-hmm. but if I had to guess the title of the person at the label that would hire a director for a music video, it'd never be the director of marketing. Right. But, but it, it makes sense. Yeah. But, but also when you look at the entire company is four or five people and like one is the CEO slash founder mm-hmm. and like there's an A&R person and then director of marketing and then like an assistant, then it's like, well, okay, well, I guess I could email all of them, but the marketing person, the marketing probably, person. Yeah. yeah. is generally, it. and you know, some labels that, you know, have pretty substantial rosters, like even their CEO is doing the reach out being like, Hey, I need, you know, I need, a video for this new yeah. Oso Oso album or something like. Tr- I don't know Frank if you've from- heard, but um, the music industry is not super profitable. No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so. Well, it's interesting because I guess the reason I was like surprised that it's a marketing position is because you know I didn't really grow up with like a ton of pop music and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and I guess I just think of the videos as like one of the products, you know. But like I guess it's not a product; it's just a tool and advertisement for the tr- for the music exactly and but i think with advertising dollars now it's like you know the music video 
the music video has a, has a lot of you know financial value to to labels now, um, and I think there it's starting to have like an upswing. Can we talk about budgets for music videos? Actually, yeah. What's um like? Is there a range of like a sweet spot for you now? Like I try to work within you know try to do nothing less than twenty. But the, and that's the, for like a one day shoot, or it doesn't. Well, it that's can the be thing. Anything. Like what what I've learned as well is that like in the end it, it just ups. It opens up the door to do more, but I always end up running out of money anyway, because it's like now, okay, well, I've graduated from the five to the 10, the 10 to the 20. Well, now in the 20, now I can do the things that I've, I've, I've wanted to do. And now I can spend money to do it, but it's not like, oh, I'm not but walking home with yourself. 10 grand. No, it's like sure. a lot of the yeah. time. And I think this is the story of, of most independent directors or even those who are repped are like, you know, in the, if, in the end, they're usually putting in their fee into it. I mean, I've put in my own money outside of even a fee into almost every video, yeah. you know, and I've been lucky enough to like, you know, I do some branded and commercial work as well. And, but the music video, I mean, maybe like the Rick Ross music video I directed, I made some money on, but like not much. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're not really, no, it's not like, that's kind of the issue with um, the state of music videos is that like, directors there's ever there's such a huge sea of 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 hungry independent mm-hmm. music video talented talented, talented, talented exactly awesome. yeah who are just like fuck it i'll do it for free yeah sure. and like i'm gonna borrow all the gear and it's like it sets a bad precedent where the labels are like oh shit well this dude just made a video that looks like it's 50 grand and we gave I him mean, seven yeah even when you're saying like oh twenty thousand dollars is a lot of money to shoot a music video that's still like not very much that means no. no one's really making real money no, yeah but exactly. also it means it's not a sustainable lifestyle as a director if you get one music video a month and you manage to give pay yourself like two grant you know right. you can't no, live off of that it's really not and there's this great organization that's popped up called we direct music videos sure, um yeah. and it's you know the daniels directors um you know they had directed a music video for turned down for what and had basically put out this story on Twitter like a year and a half ago, something like that, of them doing the breakdown of like the hours spent. I think it was like a $50,000 music video. They had spent like three months and a on it. Massive, hit. massive hit. Just, I know. Do I think big, you should get paid based on the view count? Well, that's the thing they're yeah. saying. I think Daniel Kwan was like, you know, the, it has, I think, 850 million views sure. on YouTube the amount of ad revenue that that's made that label is astronomical. And so it's like, but yet we paid ourselves like a dollar a day for (laughs) three months. Right. And he's in the video. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's so good. It's so Um, good. And you know, obviously those guys are doing fine now. Sure. Well, who knows though? Do you know what I mean? That's true. That's the thing. It's 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 like, Oh, I'll respect them once they're on this podcast. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) When did you start listening to this podcast? A couple months back, um, I had I had listened to one with Josh Rubin, who I was saying before, he and I haven't met, but have been sort of Instagram friends for a while. And I really admire his work. I think he's fucking hilarious. Um, and I think I'd heard, I'd read about Scare Me and was just kind of Googling stuff and, and found the podcast and oh, listened so to that. just started listening. I think it was, or maybe the episode before that, I th- I, maybe it wasn't the scare me one because I did listen to that sure, came out yeah. recently. He was on another episode. He was on yeah, like right? years ago. Yeah. 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 I think I had just like that had Invinced popped up. And like a handful. Of, yeah. 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 I think it was that. And so I was like, these guys, I just like I was saying before, it's so nice to be able to hear 
from like your peers of directors and like you guys are obviously directors as well. And like, we all love to hear the stories of like the great cinematographers or great directors, but it's nice to yeah, unlike, prefer a mediocre yeah, story. Total yeah. mediocre. But yeah, just someone. Just something relatable, yeah, like you can know? Buy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nice like, to know um, that there's, you know. Melissa Hunter. To talk to. Did you see her post? She posted on Instagram like a month ago about, you know, there's all these lists, 30 under 30 and like 20. Like, mm-hmm. wow, this young person. And they're so smart. And, there's a, and she was like, show me like the list of like the 56-year-old retired yeah. teacher that just wrote a book wrote that book, has became yeah. a bestseller. Yes. Like, that's the story I want to hear. It's and so I'm like, true. yeah, like let's make the the list of not the great yeah. people. <laughs> but all us not great people need a list, need to be on a list too. <laughs> yep. I have one last question, totally. which is actually about like the film scene between New York and LA. And because I'm sure we get this question a lot from our listeners, which is like, hey, I just graduated film school in Wisconsin and I'm thinking of moving to LA or New York. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there is like a tangible difference well, I haven't been here long enough to really oh, yeah, know, but I, I'd say that like I can speak for New York and I, I think that it, they're similar in that I know so many independent creative individuals who are just like really struggling to find work, you know, and there's I think it's such a competitive marketplace right now that there's so many great directors and you'd think there's enough work for everybody, but it's there's such a competitive nature. But I think that what I've what I've found that I find to be really encouraging is that there's so much camaraderie in that as well. And so many you know filmmakers in New York who I really admire have been so graceful and supportive of younger directors um, and sort of just like the reach out that I've done, being like, dude, I, I you know you're signed to Doomsday or you're signed to you know Pulse, like mm-hmm. that's a goal of mine would you like to get coffee yeah and they're like dude i've absolutely and like i try to do those like you're paying for the coffee though right Right. yeah exactly (laughs) um and i found that out here as well you know and i think that there's as an east coast person people you know there's a new york mentality that like i think it's like well la it's it's snotty and and people are just like there's not that same sort of camaraderie, but that's has not been my experience here at all. Sure. Isn't it that like in LA they'll smile at you, but like never call you back, and in New York they'll like flip you off to your face, right? But but give you a phone but, call, yeah, yeah, something like that. But it's true, you know, and I think that, or it's not true, you know. I think that I've been I've been really encouraged by the yeah by the yeah, yeah we flip people off, man. Yeah, you can yeah. do it too. <laughs> They're flipping me off right now. Yeah, yeah. You can see it. Do you well, feel like I'm you're smart. a little more entrenched in? film here like you go to a coffee shop and everyone is yes yes i I think compared to brooklyn yeah i think that in new york there it's just there's just so many people around all the time that you don't feel like they're i mean i lived in williamsburg Mm -hmm. when moving to silver lake they're basically the same Um, but i do i will say that it's not as identifiable who works in the industry you know um, I feel like I could, you know, when you're around other directors, especially because if you're having a conversation about it, you see a lot of this, whereas like, I feel like what I did was just turn my head that people were like paying attention. I feel like you notice that. And, and I do it myself. I feel like there's just conversationally a lot of like industry talk. You yeah, don't you, feel you that overhear as, yeah. people saying the word pilot. Yeah. Right. You, and you're like, what? Yeah. The other day. Not as much in New York. I was at my favorite Starbucks reserve in Los Feliz and uh, there's this guy that I've been seeing at that Starbucks. He has this like big, cool beard. He's like kind of got slicked back hair, kind of dresses cool. And like they have couches there. Sometimes you sit next to like a stranger 
And so one day, I, and I always like he looked so familiar. I was like, sure, I'd worked with him before. And I sat down next time. I was like, hey, man, uh, is it cool if I share this couch with you? He's like, yeah, no problem. I'm like, he looks so familiar. Do you you work in production or development or what do you do? He's like, nope. I'm like, do you, are you working in the film industry? He's like, nope. I was like, okay. I was just like sh- in shock. Yeah, because he looked like one of and, us, and he's uh, he's like, my name is Rick Rubin. It's weird <laughs> that I hang out here all the time, right? <laughs> um, no, so anyway, it, I'm always like so shocked when there's like someone that works out of a coffee shop that's not in the film. Sure, business. sure. Well, awesome. You know about our unpaid endorsements? Yeah, unpaid endorsements. So I have two. The first, they're both things that you can stream. Hopefully, you have the services. One is called. Aniara, I think I'm pronouncing that right, which is a a sci-fi film about a ship that gets set off course. They're they're on their way to Mars, and then uh oh, things go awry, and they're kind of like lost in space. And it's based off of a I guess a um epic poem from I want to say Sweden. Anyway, it's bonkers, and it goes. It does like first it's like six months after they're they realize that they're lost in space and then it's a year and then it's five years and then it's 10 years and so it's got this really cool vibe where you're just watching a civilization evolve and crumble and uh it's got like kind of these cool other pieces where it's like there's um like a vr sort of system that people can go and visit to like kind of remember what it's like to be back on earth and that kind of like develops a weird cult around it and there's all sorts of crazy stuff and i don't want to spoil too much but things get things get bonkers and that is available on you consume that uh on hulu yes what's it called one more Uh, time aniara a-n-a-i-r-a which is the name of the ship oh i should also have mentioned earth is over basically so they're all Uh, fleeing to mars that's the that's the premise of the movie nice um but it's great and then the other uh endorsement i have are you guys watching McMillions? Yes. I thought about bringing that up. So, you know, we know the DP. Really? Wait, who's Jeff the... Dolan. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Do you know Jeff? Uh, no. Oh. But uh, we know the editor, Jody McVeigh Schultz. Oh, I did not realize that. The show. Is that right? Yeah. Awesome friend. editing on that. Jeff yeah. shot my, uh, my second movie. Oh, funny. Cool. Yeah, I haven't watched last or this week's episode. So I, so I just started. You did. And it is way more bonkers than I thought. Is it? I'd, I'd been kind of hearing about like the premise because I'd be like, oh, Jody, what are you working on? Or whatever. And he's like, you remember the Monopolies? Yeah. Monopoly came from the 90s. But like it is just topsy turvy. There's like, there's heist elements, right. there's the FBI, there's, it's full of like big characters. It's really yeah, it's, everything you want out of a, out of a pop documentary. Yes, yeah. totally. And the last episode that I saw, like there was a shift for me where like, you realize like it was just like cotton candy, you know, it's like this story is just so fun. And then there's just sort of like a mic drop of like, oh my God, like these individuals who got involved in this, like were really struggling, Oh, interesting. you know? And it's like, these are real people who weren't like professional, like, sure. It's not a cat burglar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like these people were like, you know, sort of desperate at the times yeah. for this money, you know? And, and suddenly this like thing falls in their lap and it totally like shifted their trajectory of their life. And yeah, it's it's pretty wild though. I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people have been waiting to till like all the episodes are out so they can watch it at once. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna watch it. Our so our friend Jeff Dolan was the DP on it and he 
so there's been like billboards and it, there's like a whole wall. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's got Sunset like, Boulevard. It's got the big Sunset, but like one of the biggest billboards in the world, basically. And so, like, and one of the most expensive too. It's got it. Yeah. Harley, so on Facebook and Instagram, Jeff is always like, anytime he sees like a giant ad for it, he gets out his like Mavic or whatever, his drone. And he's just like, it's his Facebook thing is all drone shots. It's like, this is the biggest sign of anything I've ever shot. This is the biggest sign of it. Um, but it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. That's right. Um, to shoot drone shots of, of billboards. Yeah. So I'm going to take all his shots and just put up like my commercials like on his billboards. There you go. That's cool. Yeah. I, have, have I talked about, I'm sure we've talked about Gigster before, right? I don't know that we have actually, but I'm, I'm down to back you up on that. Yeah. yeah. yeah so whenever someone it. you're like doing some branded job, you know, for no money and you're like complaining and then you're like, okay, well, what are the locations? And they send you these locations and you're like, these locations suck. And they're like, no, we did scoured everything. You just go to gigster.com. You type in like pool house or whatever you're looking for as a location. And you can just find like an insane amount of incredible houses. It's like the all over LA of for film location. production. Interesting. Um, but That's also huge to know. it's really nice to know peer space is another one, um, mm-hmm. but you can get additional insurance through Gigster, which is really nice. So like in the event that you're an independent filmmaker and you're like a little worried about like L and D or something like yeah. that, like there's insurance policies for that. And also they can for uh, like I want to say like 200 bucks, do all of the papering for your permit. If you decide to permit, some people don't always do that, but if you need to permit something, if you're going to be there for a while or if you're exposed or whatever. Um, and Matt, what's L and D? What does that mean? Oh, sorry. Loss and damages. So basically if you, if you're worried, you're going to mess up somebody's house and the deductible on a standard insurance policy for typical like low budget films is like 2,500 bucks or something like that. So it's like, you really have to fuck something up in order right. to like be able to make an insurance claim. And that could still be a significant amount of money that, you know, that's your entire yeah, you know, budget's blown, budget's blown video, on a yeah. music video. Right. Like just from someone, you know, like drop, like ruining scuffing a floor or something like that, or like, you know, messing up a wall stuff that, you know, doesn't typically happen, but you know, you know, yeah. you know what to be nervous about. So yeah. that's so good to know. So yeah, Gigster, Gigster can help yeah. you out on that. Ooh, it's not like you don't awesome. have a, a deductible at all, but right. like having an extra layer of insurance yeah. can be nice. And oh, it can also cushion. like inspire you. Like, and you can find like legit man. I did a scout today and we were like at like insane mansions with like pools mm-hmm. that are going in and out. Like, I don't know if Taylor Swift level, but like not far from it. Right. And there's so many crazy cool views and stuff in LA. And so sometimes you're like, like I've heard of people say like, I found this amazing place on pure space and I just want to shoot something there, you right. know? Totally. So it can inspire you in reverse too. I have one comment about all of those websites that always bums me out is that it's great if you want to find a mansion or like some, like a great photo space or something like that. It's much harder if you just want like, a nice house or like a regular apartment. Like people only list their unique. I found cool stuff. houses. I mean, apartments no, are I'm, harder. I'm saying just like a regular one. That's yeah. That's what I'm saying. I want yeah, like, like a craftsman, like a house, like my house. I feel like you can find on there. I, I find it much harder to find the, the less character I'm looking for, the harder it is to find on a on those listed sites. site. Yeah. I'll send it. you some really boring places. I can't wait. <laughs> I have one. My other endorsement yeah. is just, have you guys watched Don't F with Cats on Netflix? Yes. No, no. I've been curious about it. I have no idea. <sighs> Troubling it's watch. very 
hard to watch. I've never like covered my screen. Like I was watching my computer and I was like, like w- peering through my fingers, but being like, I can't, I'm too, like the visuals are tough. How, it, tell me what the premise what is. What the premise is. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it. what you think it is. Basically the opening line of the show is like, there's, you can do a lot of insane stuff online, but there's like this unspoken rule, which is like you can't fuck with cats. People love cats. Yeah, and like the mob mentality of like the cat, so, you know, cat lovers who will just like form like a militia if something, you know, if you fuck with cats. And it's basically... This guy. Yeah. They Nobody knows where and where, how anything posts a video where he does very bad things to cats. And uh, this group of vigilantes like internet sleuths try to figure out who this person who he is and where he lives and how to find him and how to stop him and some people want to like kill him and like and he knows about them and he's like makes he's more like videos and he's toying yes and he's but they are like looking like oh there's a box of cigarettes on the side table right. and it has like a surgeon general's warning on it so that means they only have those in america but then there's audio of like people speaking in russian and then this blanket he has like was only sold on eBay to one person like, and they're kind of triangulating where he is and they're like driving around on Google map street view and they're doing everything. It's like lion. Remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Like times a hundred yes. of like how they, from this grainy video are trying to find this person in the world and, and yeah. And, and they the interplay with that. Right. And there's like, they have like a Facebook group to finding him and then, they're like they have a feeling they like he's infiltrated the Facebook group. Yeah, so there's like thousands of members, and they don't know which one he is. So yeah. they have to start splinter Facebook groups of only trusted people. Yeah, Ooh, that's good. And they're like, it gets to a point. Where they're like, is this person going to graduate into murder? Right. You know, right. and so it just it goes from there. You guys, you gotta see it. Ugh. It's it's yeah. it's hard it's to this, watch. It's disturbing yeah. because it's real. Yeah. They don't show like anything, but you see videos of people watching the video, and that is even that is like very difficult to look yeah. at. Yeah, two cats, one cup. <laughs> That's um, you joke, but that is uh, what the guy yeah n- named his video. Two, oh, really? It's two, two cats, one, one it's lunatic or something. Yeah, uh, got it. Oh, it's rough. Yikes. Yeah. Yes. Well, anyway, but it's right, really hope, well made. I hope you've so got something out. really happy and yeah. cheery. Yeah. Um, my my plug is for this new doc that is coming out called "You Cannot Kill David Arquette." Okay. And so my friends, I don't know if you know of the uh, XTR is this new uh, no. this new doc company that's it's on it's on uh, Sunset. And they just popped up and they're doing like a lot of high end uh, nonfiction documentaries. And so this is premiering at South by and my friend Catherine is producer on it and Bryn. And it's basically about David Arquette, the actor, like 20 years ago was crowned the like heavyweight champion of, of the rest of wrestling through like a media stunt. Oh, okay. And he basically became like a hated by everyone in like in the in the wrestling community people with like diehard fans have just like saw him as like Judas for like 20 years sure. and has never really been able to live it down and so he just, he announced i think on Ellen a couple of years back that he's like returning to wrestling and is in his 50s and the doc basically follows him performing in 19 different wrestling matches and it like totally took over his life and it's premiering at South by as well. So we're psyched for that. And it's supposed to be like a, just an unbelievable documentary. So that's something to look forward to for, for people. Cool. Yeah. Are you allowed to plug your friends' movies? 
yeah. in our unpaid endorsement? A, yeah, of course. That, ben, if I, we find uh, out you're getting paid for this, Randa. Uh, we just talked about how we used someone from Mc, McMillions. True. Well, oh, yeah. Well, you weren't going to say that. Oh, guilty. I spoiled it. Here's one other one other thing that I saw. I saw this a few months back. Or actually, I saw this like a year ago. But I feel like no one else has seen it, and I've like made my girlfriend watch it a few times. Avengers Endgame. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's called The Final Days of Peter Bergman. Have you heard of this? It's a short documentary. I'll send you guys the link. But it's basically about like a body washes up on shore in Ireland, and they can't place where this person is from and they have cctv footage of him in a hotel it's so haunting and they basically like each and every day he's going outside with these purple bags and is getting rid of his belongings but out of sight of cameras and it's basically this this like not it's not true crime it's just a mystery of like is it docu- documentary? it's a documentary yeah the final days of peter bergman oh, it's wow. so eerie but they're basically like, we can't place this person on the face of the earth. Like, it's like he didn't, never existed. That's why we need to do what China does and just have cameras everywhere. Yeah. So everyone knows where everyone is at all times. Yeah. But like he, wa- like he went to great lengths. I don't to- know that that's a great plan. <laughs> okay. I'm not, well, I'm not sure I'm with like, you on that. I would Patriot like Act. The human yeah. chess game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's really... It's. I don't want to give it a but it's Okay, cool. Dark Docs Dark and Docs. Michael Randa. Yeah. yeah. That's my Steve's. shoot it um, 205. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, where can listeners keep track of you, learn more about you and your film? BestSummerEverMovie.com is our film. My personal work, if you want to check it out, is ParksRanda.com. Um, same thing for Instagram for, for both mine and the film. And yeah, we're... we're I'm thrilled to be here and I'm, I'm so psyched to talk with you guys. It feels so good after a couple of years of kind of head and head, you know, underground getting this thing done sure. to talk about it. So thank you. This yeah. Is really yeah. privileged. You're welcome. Well, we can't wait for the film to come out yeah. uh, versus South by, and I'm sure eventually you'll keep us posted on when it can be seen by the audience at large. Yeah. If you want to keep track of that and everything else that we talked about, you can visit just shoot and we are across all social media at Just Shoot It Pod. I'm at Mr. Mad and Low. And I'm on Instagram at O Kaplan. You guys can email us questions, comments, just shoot a pod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 1262 shoot one. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams, and you're listening to music from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks for tuning in. Catch Thanks, you next everyone. time. Bye. Bye.